all know that music makes us cry and makes us dance and makes a hundred thousand people in a stadium jump up and down. I think almost everybody on the planet will say that some of their most profound emotional experiences are with music. But it took Dr. Oliver Sacks and Dr. Connie Tomeno, these neuroscientists, to say, oh, guess what? It's real. When you listen to it, it's not just lighthearted comfort. It's actually healing you in an incredibly real way. It's so personal. To me, music is such a special medium because it touches your soul. You have these personal moments with music. I mean, obviously there's the group element and concerts and listening to music with your friends, but there's also just that private, quiet connection to songs, especially when you're hurting or feeling happy or feeling lost or feeling extra, extra grounded. Music can enhance and help you feel. There's no other medium quite like it. Jaima, Jaima Yomiz, it is Raquel, and welcome to Your Own Magic, a podcast for the creative and the curious soul. And ooh, I am so excited for you to hear this episode. It really left me with a high. Another thing leaving me with a high right now is the fact that I'm back on Instagram and I'm connecting with so many beautiful souls who I had lost touch with because it's been it's been a minute since I've been on Instagram. It's been years, but I feel like every Leo season, I make a quick appearance and hopefully this one's lasting. But yeah, it's been fun to be back on Instagram. So say hello, let's connect. My Instagram handle is at Raquel Mantra, spelled R-A-Q-U-E-L-L-E, Mantra. It's in the show notes, of course. It's so fun being back on and just honestly, the biggest thing is connecting and I highly recommend everybody takes, you know, a little bit of a detox from social media, but perhaps not too long to where you get too comfortable. And that's my theme this summer is to step out of my comfort zone and I've been going above and beyond stepping out of that comfort zone, I tell you. And it has completely changed my life in a span of a month. Yeah, it's exciting to be back. And also to have amazing conversations like this special episode. Ooh, this conversation. I mean, this podcast, I feel like, will take you on a journey through some captivating minds, I must say. I mean, first, there's a multi-hyphenate artist on this episode. You know, someone that goes by one name, Moby. He is an iconic musician. I remember listening to him in the early 2000s, even 1999, and his illustrious career has been spanning decades from touring with legends like David Bowie to making his directorial debut with a worldwide premiere of punk rock vegan movie, which actually premiered in my hometown, Park City, Utah, during Sundance at the Slamdance Festival in Sundance. And Moby's journey truly and everything that he shares in this episode is nothing short of extraordinary he's a very poetic speaker definitely a poetic speaker i must say and alongside him is the beautiful environmentalist activist sustainability expert producer and co-host of 
the Moby Pod with Moby, his friend Lindsay Hicks, and she is head of development at Little Walnut Productions, and she brings a fresh perspective to the table, guiding the creation of thought-provoking projects that intertwine art and activism. Like I said, they're both captivating minds, and together, Moby and Lindsay, they invite us into their world where they question the status quo and delve into the unexpected connections between punk rock and animal rights activism and explore the intersection of music and environmental consciousness. And so, whether you happen to be a longtime fan of Moby's music or you're just simply intrigued by a nice, candid conversation with some fascinating people, I feel like you'll enjoy this episode a lot. So, stay tuned as we explore creativity and question norms and embrace the power of meaningful connections, talk about music as a healing modality, and unveil punk rock's ethical anthems. And so, with all that said, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Moby and Lindsay Hicks. I was just telling Lindsay that I was enjoying binging your guys' podcasts, and the one I just listened to might be my actual favorite, which was the one where you two created a song together. And I'm completely music illiterate. I love that when Lindsay said that. Am I might music literate. I was thinking, like, I am music literate, but this <laughs> inspired me. I enjoyed it so much. And I hope that you guys do another one of those soon. Well, thanks. I mean, yeah, it was such an odd experience because we (laughs) sort of gave ourselves the challenge of, and I guess, okay, to be fair, maybe it wasn't that much of a challenge, but the challenge was to really doc actually like in sort of quasi real time document the making of a song, you know, the writing of a song, the recording of a song. But the truth is if it had been really terrible, we simply would not have aired it like I think at some point we had to sort of go back and listen to it with some objectivity and ask ourselves like okay we're both pretty comfortable with embarrassing ourselves in public but just how embarrassing (laughs) actually is this and are you impressed with how it turned out because I am I I can't believe that only took how long a week a day a couple of days yeah that's insane yeah I mean Moby is the magician here like he would go away with something and come back with like the most be- like I, I'm I'm continually impressed by things Moby knows how to do because I know he's like you know a good friend a good listener and makes really great soups but then when he does music stuff I'm like wait you're just a genius lying right underneath this like friendly soup maker <laughs> um, <laughs> he's um, been doing this a minute <laughs> oh my god for so long but it's just it's so magical to get to see him work. Um, in that field, it's so it's it's very very inspiring and very cool. I get truly, I've said it, but it seems it seems like magician work to me. I do, I just don't understand it. <laughs> it is it's and it's nice that you guys took your listeners into the process. And I mean, there are people that have been fans of you, Moby, for decades now, and for you to bring them into that experience is you know, just so nice. And I'm curious if you guys are open to taking suggestions of your next genre, because you guys talked about that. You're taking crowd suggestions. Oh, absolutely. That I mean, because it was so much fun to do. And the response was really good. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many potential genres to play around with. Like, should the next one be a disco song? Uh, yes. The one thing I can say for so many reasons that we will not do is a song that involves either one of us rapping. <laughs> that might be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, if I... <laughs> I love hip hop, but the but I'm going to say this very diplomatically. There's not really a world in which a 57 year old cisgender Caucasian man would ever rap in public. <laughs> At least you admit it. <laughs> uh, what are your favorite genres then to create? If you're going to take suggestions. Oh, anything, anything apart from. Uh, let me think. I guess we, we've discussed hip hop where neither one of us really should rap in public. Um, I mean, maybe like mm -hmm. if, if we were out doing karaoke and we were sure that no one was documenting it, maybe we could do young MCs bust a move or something. Oh my God. I'm a big fan of Gangster's Paradise in a karaoke bar, but again, that's only in front of friends. Please, that's one of my favorite go-tos too. So in terms of genre, I think anything else is potentially fair game. Like I'm racking my brains trying to think of like, some genre that we couldn't be have fun with and be challenged by. I have a few suggestions. So your movie, you talk about being the boy Enya for because you do a variety of things <laughs> would be one suggestion. Or like a Simon Garfunkel-y, Funkley, Funkley, 70s American indie folk rock type of style. It's one of my favorites. Those are both fantastic suggestions and we absolutely we will do both of those. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Very good. Boy Enya, I feel like we really need to lean into the boy Enya. Please, that <laughs> cracked me up. So you two also are in a variety of creative projects, both together and separately, like the punk rock movie. And then, of course, you have your new album that just came out, Moby, Resound NYC. Let's see, you also have a label, Always Center at Night. And there's so many areas that I want to cover throughout this podcast. but. Before I do, I want to ask both of you, what is lighting you up most in this season of your life? Ooh. Wow. Um, okay. Who, Lindsay, you want to go first? I, I, what's lighting me up most? Well, here's the thing. I guess I could say I've experienced a lot of change recently, which there are times when change is very scary to me, but I'm experiencing a lot of changes that are very uh, perspective shifting and eye opening and freeing. So I'll say, uh, uh, I, I'm very lit up by my own shifting perspective. I love that. And my, okay, this, I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a way that will make sense, not just to you guys, but to me as well. Um, so <laughs> about two years ago during the pandemic, I started doing my own landscaping. Like when I moved to LA, like a lot of people, I had professionals who came and did my landscaping. And at some point I realized I really wanted to learn how to prune trees and do irrigation and, you know, just general landscape maintenance. So I started doing my own landscaping and I love it. That's awesome. Uh, which hopefully doesn't sound like too bourgeois and privileged, but I actually love going out and like, being in nature, taking care of the trees. But one of the most inspiring aspects of it is when the trees drop their leaves, I sweep the leaves back onto the soil to both cool the soil, protect against evaporation, 
but also provide food for all the bacteria and the fungus that allows the soil to be healthy. And so what's been really lighting me up is the awareness of these systems, you know, the system of a a tree drops its leaves. And so the leaves are technically dying, but though that without that death, the tree would suffer. Right. And so it's just sort of by extrapolation, recognizing my place and our place within that system that, you know, we're alive for a minute. And then in a perfect world, we die and are returned to the literal soil that gave birth to us. And our, by being returned to that soil, we provide food for microorganisms and bugs and trees. And we keep this amazing system going. Wow, that poetic answer would be your answer. Though I, though I am a little bit concerned that Mo, that what's lighting Moby up is death. I'm like, do is this a fifty one fifty situation? Is this a very poetic cry for help? I actually just redrafted my will so that there's this condition in my will now that says that I will be buried in a mushroom soup. In a mushroom soup? Oh my god! In a mushroom soup. In a mushroom soup. <gasps> You guys know about mushroom suits. What? I Wait, okay, elaborate. So a mushroom suit is basically when you die, they wrap you in this fabric that is filled with fungus spores, mushrooms, and then they bury you so your body becomes fuel, becomes food for these mushrooms. That's brilliant. Yeah. Of course, you, again, doing something that is different than the status quo. I love that that is one of your big messages as well as rejecting the status quo and not only rejecting it, but questioning the status quo, questioning the norms, doing something uniquely different, but also providing for the earth or helping the animals in some way, shape or form. And I'm curious, how do you approach questioning these societal norms and expectations in your own life? And then, you know, infuse them into your creative endeavors? Well, it's a wonderful question. And I guess part of it is I was brought up, you know, I was, I'm old, so I was born in the 60s and I was raised by hippies and academics and counterculture people. And so from day one, I was raised to question everything, you know, this skepticism and especially being skeptical of existing structures, you know, not blindly rejecting them, but just sort of looking at them very suspiciously, whether it's political structures, corporate structures, gender structures, what have you. Uh, and that's what led me to be a vegan. It's what has led me to be an activist. And I will say, I don't want to complain, but it seems like that skepticism has, we'll call it like informed skepticism has either become crazy, you know, like some friends of mine who are convinced, and I don't want to offend anybody, but like I, who are convinced that like chemtrails have been put there by gray aliens who monitor our thoughts. I'm like, well, there might be other things going on that are more worthy of our attention and concern than gray alien chemtrails. Um, but it also seems like so many people are turning a blind eye to huge problematic threats, like first and foremost, climate change. And you know, the institutions that sustain you know, climate change, whether it's food systems or energy systems and political systems. And 
I really wish there was a little more questioning and skepticism and rejection of these institutions that are destroying the only home we have. Oh, amen. I feel this. And it's something close to my heart, too. And I appreciate your you and Lindsay both your continued animal rights activism and sharing these messages to help solidify a more ethical and loving and peaceful ideal world. I think it's interesting that in your movie, punk rock vegan movie, and also, of course, on your podcast, I didn't realize how much punk rock and veganism or animal rights activism and just a cleaner life and also one that is more sustainable, one that's more environmentally friendly, how much they aligned. I had no idea of the punk rock ethos, to be honest, until I saw your movie. And so I'm curious, how do you believe the punk rock ethos aligns with the principles of animal rights and ethical food consumption and environmentalism? So when Lindsay and I started our production company, Little Walnut, the real, the idea was to try and use creativity to address issues that were important to us or that hopefully are objectively important. You know, first and foremost for us is animal rights and promoting veganism. Mm-hmm. And rather than just go out and yell at people or be didactic or use the same information over and over again, we keep trying to challenge ourselves, like, what can we do differently? How can we pre- reach people in a way that they're actually potentially willing to pay attention to? And that's where the punk rock vegan movie came from. It was using music in an incredibly surprising way to talk about animal rights, because You're absolutely right. And your response is the response that almost everyone had to this movie, which is one of surprise because people think punk rock is just loud, angry, and destructive. And the truth is punk rock, a lot of punk rock that I grew up with is incredibly principled and incredibly thoughtful and incredibly ethical. Like my introduction to veganism and to animal rights and a lot of other issues came from being a part of the punk rock scene in and around New York in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I knew that there was, of course, anger towards, for example, Rage Against the Machine is a band I used to listen to and their message is obvious. It's in the title, right? So I understood what the messaging was. However, I didn't realize how also peaceful the music was. I didn't realize what you guys were really, really preaching. And I think that that is a beautiful thing in the punk rock movement. Well, I love, yeah, the, and sorry for rambling on so much, but the, the contrast of like the people we talk to in the movie who are thoughtful and intelligent and gentle, but then you put them on stage and they're the craziest, <laughs> most raucous performers you've ever seen. Yes, I saw that. Oh man, that was great. And Lindsay, I'm also curious, uh, your experience with creating well, the punk rock vegan movie, but also now, I mean, you're talking about change. Now you're also on this podcast with your cousin. You both are cousins, right? Double checking. I think. You're oh, me and Lindsay? Yeah. No. Only so far as like, I guess cousins in the grand sense of the word that like we're related to Bonobos monkeys. But as far as I know, <laughs> I don't know if we have any direct family relationship apart from the fact that both of us deep down wish that we were Jewish. Yeah, I think that's that's where we align most is our, you know, our aspirational Jewishness. 
like mostly like half my family is Jewish, so I get to spend a lot of time around Jewish traditions. But like for some reason, my whole life, like I, I was a straight cisgendered white Anglo-Saxon Protestant <laughs> who deep down wanted to be gay and Jewish. That makes two of us. That was my only wish too. I was I grew up in Texas and I was always like, I just want to be surrounded by gay people and Jewish people. And that's the only people that I and and um and then I moved to New York and I got my wish. Amazing. Um Moby Raquel lives in Park City, Utah. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I don't think Yeah, where isn't that wild? Where you guys we were just there. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I saw, I wish I was here during Slam Dance. Um, but Slam Dance, I mean, it's known for celebrating independent filmmakers like yourselves and your unique storytelling. And so I'm curious, how did that festival atmosphere and the audience reception impact your experience during the premiere of Punk Rock Vegan movie? Oh, Lindsay, do you want to take that? Yeah. So we, um, when we were invited to Slam Dance, we weren't done with the movie. And so then suddenly we had this very, very uh, surprisingly short timeline to finish the film, um, which was okay. Mostly it was just trying to sort out all the archival stuff. But um, so we had spent these couple of months only focused on this movie and trying so hard to get everything together and make sure that everything was all tied up. And it was hard work, um, but really, really exciting work because we knew that we would get to be, get to have the first time anyone saw it would be at Slam Dance in front of a live audience, which was like so beyond, you know, I think what we had imagined for the film. Um, and it was beautiful. I mean, I had never been to Park City before, so I was I was quite taken with um, with the city. However, I did bring Bagel with me to Park City, uh, and she had a less good time. Oh no! Because she does not like the right. cold, and she does not like the snow. She's small. Lindsay, just oh, just to clarify a little bit, because we know who Bagel is, but it's quite possible people listening don't know who Bagel is. Um, Bagel is your eleven pound divine companion animal half terrier half chihuahua <laughs> yes that is that is bagel and she truly is divine and she also starred in your movie yeah <laughs> yes exactly movie. <laughs> exactly and bagel got to do her like her first big red carpet um like her first step and repeat and she was so good um and she got to be there for the premiere of the film which we were all really excited to have her there. And I think the people that were there for the screening were excited to meet Bagel. Um, and it was it was really wonderful to get to hear and see audience reactions for this film that I think for many reasons, Moby and I were so excited to offer to people. And Moby as a kind of offering decided that he wanted the film to be free. So after Slam Dance's period that we gave the film to them um, out after that exclusivity period, it went up on YouTube, which is um, apparently the most egalitarian way to share content because it's international. 100%. There's really few limits on where and when you can watch it. And it's always free. Um, yep. So now it lives it lives on YouTube. And so it it's um it's a beautiful thing and a wonderful privilege that we've had that we've been able to put that film out for free. It's so amazing. And I did watch it on YouTube, which I was thankful. I was like, yes, this is free. I can watch it right now, which yeah. is amazing. But also I 
loved the nostalgia. I loved watching all the little historical clips. I loved hearing and seeing the rock legends, the punk rock legends today and them sharing their experiences. And surprisingly, unsurprisingly, they were all vegan or vegetarian. And so uh, can you share some of the most memorable conversations that you had uh, with these iconic figures and how they contributed to the overall narrative of the documentary? Well, so to put it in a little bit of context, when I was growing up playing in little obscure bands, I never expected to have a career as a musician. I thought I was going to be a philosophy professor and make music in my bedroom that no one ever listened to. That's will be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pretty much every aspect of my career, <clears throat> excuse me, has been a real surprise. And a lot of the people that we talked to in the movie, especially some of the older people like Ian MacKay from Minor Threat or HR from The Bad Brains, I mean, I would wait in line for hours to see their shows when I was 16 years old. And it was so interesting. Like Ian MacKay is such a revered legend. Like he was in Minor Threat and Fugazi and he is just considered like the patron saint of ethical punk rock. And when we interviewed him, he admitted publicly that he'd been a vegan for 35 years. And I just thought it was so interesting, like being in his house, talking to this principled man and remembering the first time I saw him play live in 1982 and how my friends and I had like saved up money to take the train to get to New York and waited in line to get into great Gildersleeves and how fast forward 40 some odd years, we're sitting down ostensibly as peers. So I mean, everybody we spoke to, I guess the recurring thing that was wonderful was realizing just how sensitive and principled so many of the musicians were that we spoke to. I mean, as I mentioned before, even some of the craziest, most aggressive performers, you know, like our friend Derek from Sepultura, if you see him play live, you know, he's this six foot three, incredibly strong black man who is, when he's on stage, is the biggest, most commanding presence. But in person, he's an incredibly, like, erudite, thoughtful, sensitive animal rights activist. And so it was really, being around that was really inspiring. That is awesome. And your first hardcore band was Vatican Commandos, right? That's, yeah. That is so funny. Do you still ever listen or remind yourself of those songs back when? Oh, absolutely. I mean, maybe I shouldn't admit this. I should try and make it seem like I'm super up to date on the world of modern music. But <laughs> I spend way too much time listening to old punk rock music on Spotify. That's so good. Who are some of your favorites? Well, okay. I could, it's a, I'll try and keep a brief list because I could just spend the next like hour as a middle-aged guy reminiscing about my favorite punk rock bands, but everybody from <laughs> The Clash to The Dead Kennedys to Black Flag to Discharge to Minor Threat, The Bad Brains, The Damned, I mean, on and on and on. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So I won't, I won't bore you guys too much with my long meandering middle-aged <laughs> punk rock no no we'd love to hear it Lindsay, are you into punk rock i never was here's the thing <laughs> i grew up uh 
very, very much only exposed to, and I grew up in the suburbs, like the bubblegum pop yep. suburbs where we really only listened to the radio. radio I didn't, it never, it never occurred. Well, I mean, all of them, like yeah. my mom was a really big fan of the now series oh, of uh, yep. CDs Same. and cassettes. Mm -hmm. So like we didn't, I was just never, it never occurred to me that there was anything other than what my family was giving me to listen to. My dad liked country music, which I wasn't really that into growing up. Um, so I was never really exposed to it from, from a young age or even into my teens. It just wasn't a part of, you know, of the culture that I was in. Um, but I have like my, my later in life exposure to it has been so eye opening and, I would say the deepest level of exposure I've experienced was working on this movie and it gave listening to this music within the context of the political aspects of it and the, the animal rights and the kind of fuck the man mentality has kind of shifted my understanding and the feeling I get when I hear it. So I'm honestly really grateful that I got to, take my deeper dive into this genre of music within the context of punk rock vegan movie. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add of course some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and of course a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara and it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free and it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards, so no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E, Medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I needed is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake-free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot -E 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 -E
so beautifully said. I think that that is why I have the utmost respect, especially after this movie and also listening to your guys' podcast for punk rock, truly. And Moby, you were also a film composer in this, I assume, right? Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, so making this movie was probably very different than how the vast majority of movies get made. Uh, we made it basically we we produced it ourselves. So I'm for better or worse, I'm the cameraman and the interviewer and the composer and the person who made coffee and picked up the interview subjects. So I was kind of doing everything myself. And, you know, Lindsay and I decided that we wanted to have really funny stop motion animation in the film and so rather than hire a fancy stop motion animation company, we downloaded the software and learned how to do stop motion animation. So wow. to be fair, stop motion animation is pretty rudimentary, but it was so much fun to do. And so in addition to like making the movie ourselves and doing our best not to rely on other people, we also, this was a way to keep the cost down and that enabled us to give the movie away for free uh, because- yeah. It's also not just available for free. People can do whatever they want with it. Like you can go to Vimeo or YouTube and download it. And people, like I just found out that they're like Eastern European punk rock bands who are playing this movie before their shows. And normally if you tried to imagine like downloading a Marvel movie and playing it, like the, 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 the lawyers would swoop in and shut you down. In our case, we're like, you know what? Take it, do whatever you want with it because it cost us very little to make and it's just a labor of activism and love. That is beautiful. How long did that take to make then? Because I feel like that would take forever, just simply the stop motion animation itself. Um, Stop motion animation can happen really quickly if you have incredibly low standards. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, you should see the speed with which Moby can cut a pair of pants out of construction paper. Uh, I believe it. It's very fast. (laughs) Lindsay's really good at, at cutting like fruit and vegetables out of construction paper as well. So like we, we uncovered these really special skill sets. I love how you guys are collaborating. Also, I appreciate your vulnerability, not only on, of course, the movie, but the podcast you've been talking about, well, you talked about curing your panic attacks with your musical creations. And so I'd love to hear both of your experiences with anxiety and if you could elaborate on um how music and other creations may have played a therapeutic role in your life and alleviating the anxieties. Yeah. You know, what's funny, maybe it's not funny, but when I was growing up and I don't know if this was the case with you guys, I assumed maybe it's because I grew up, you know, as I mentioned before, like, you know, inbred white Anglo-Saxon Protestant in new England, I assumed that emotions were bad. uh, And that, anything even resembling mental struggles was to be hidden. You know, this, these were shameful things. And, but nonetheless, like most people, you know, I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with depression. And the way I responded to it was either by pretending that this wasn't the case or for decades drinking excessively to try and like keep the anxiety at bay. Uh, so, as time passed, especially once I got sober, I, I started going to AA meetings. And just, just to be clear, 
I personally benefit from 12-step meetings. Lots of people don't, and that's great. Like whatever works for the individual, you know, like I'm not dogmatic when it comes to spiritual traditions or sobriety or anything. But for me, I started going to AA meetings and I started hearing people in public, you know, at meetings sharing the most intimate, vulnerable stuff about their depression, about their anxiety. And I found that so emancipating, so incredibly liberating to hear people openly talking about the things I'd been ashamed of, the things I'd been hiding. And I realized at some point when other people are willing to be vulnerable, that's an act of service to me. And so in turn, I think it's almost incumbent upon me to be to at least try to be honest and vulnerable in turn, because maybe someone out there who's wrestling with their issues, wrestling with anxiety, wrestling de- with depression, will find comfort or encouragement in hearing someone else trying to openly, honestly address their issues. Oh, beautifully said. How about you, Lindsay, with this experience of anxiety? Well, I, I for a long time, just thought that everyone was anxious and uncomfortable all the time like I was. I was like, everyone's walking around in a state of fear and, and continuing to make decisions that make them even more uncomfortable and resorting to toxic uh, coping mechanisms to drown out the discomfort. I just thought everyone was doing that. And then I found out that that was not true. And I just, but also, you know, over the cumulative effect of decisions that make you uncomfortable, there's, there's a breaking point. We realize, Hey, this is too uncomfortable. So I, I started going to, to therapy and it really, really um, helped me kind of sort out the discomfort that I was having. And I'm, you know, I'm still on this journey of figuring out what works, what doesn't, what causes pain, what causes ease. Um, it's all, you know, I'm, I'm still very much in the process of learning that. And it's all very, you know, getting in touch with my own intuition about what is good and what is bad, which is weird to say, but that has been kind of hard for me. (laughs) I feel like we'll always be on that journey. I feel like, and Moby, maybe you can attest, feel like we'll always be on that journey, but you actually create or you infuse this anxiety into your creations as well for which plays a therapeutic role in your life. And so um, how do you make music using whatever these feelings are, or maybe not just music, whatever your creations are, using whatever these feelings are for your own healing? Well, first and foremost, it has to be subjective. You know, if I'm working on music, you know, if I, first and foremost, I have to love it or I have to find refuge in it or I have to find comfort or joy in it in order for me to want to release it in the hope that someone else might find refuge or comfort or joy in it. But about 20 years ago, I think yeah, 20 or 21 years ago, I started working with this organization in New York called the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function. And it was started by a bunch of neuroscientists, uh, Oliver Sacks being the most famous one. And what they looked at 
was how music actually affects the brain, how music affects the endocrine system, how music affects our, you know, stress hormones using fMRIs and PET scans and these really complicated diagnostic tools. And what they found that I found so both self-evident and revolutionary is that music is an incredibly powerful healing modality. Like it, it, it heals, like it decreases stress hormones and it promotes neurogenesis, especially in the hippocampus. And it was just so interesting to realize, oh, I kind of had known this all along, but I had never known it, if that makes any sense. Like I knew that music was healing, but I didn't give it as much credit as is actually due because the work that they've done is really remarkable. Like, like using music as a way of healing people's bodies, minds, brains, and souls. Absolutely. Not only creating it, but also simply just listening to it is medicine because I don't make music, but I do listen to it on a daily basis. Um, and it's, it's definitely part of my therapy, I would say. Yeah, it's and, and it's funny because when we all know that, like we all know that music makes us cry and makes us dance and makes a hundred thousand people in a stadium jump up and down. And like some of I think almost everybody on the planet will say that some of their most profound emotional experiences are with music. But it took Dr. Oliver Sacks and Dr. Connie Tomeno, these neuroscientists, to say, oh, guess what? it's real. Like it's really like when you listen to it, it's not just lighthearted comfort. It's actually healing you in an incredibly real way. A hundred percent. Plus also the community aspect, for example, with the punk rock movement, you're listening to these, these songs that are um, spilling their hearts and their feelings about society or politics or whatever they feel like needs to change and together collectively they get together and they feel this in their spirit and I think that's another beautiful part of music is that no matter what community you might be in there's something that you all can relate to and even just the you're absolutely right and the connection that can come from you know like like Lindsay if you're in your car and you've just maybe had a challenging time with your boyfriend and a song comes on that you connect with like granted it's audio coming through a speaker that's been digitized etc cetera, etc cetera. but in that moment there's such a profound emotional connection with the music and whoever created it absolutely it's so personal to me music is this such a special medium because it touches your soul. You have these personal moments with music. I mean, obviously there's the group element and concerts and listening to music with your friends, but there's also just that private, quiet connection to songs, especially when you're hurting or feeling happy or feeling lost or feeling extra, extra grounded, like music can enhance and help you feel. And it's, there's there's no other medium quite like it. I 100% agree. And well, now you guys are also in another medium, the podcast space. I'm curious, what do you both find most exciting or fulfilling about being in this space? Well, it's a wonderful question because to state the obvious, there are a trillion podcasts in the world. Yeah, and, <laughs> for real. And so when Lindsay and I were thinking of starting MobyPod, there was that question of like, oh, like does the world need another podcast? And partially we thought of it as a way of just like 
having conversations with people we love and respect and like learning about new things and exploring important issues. But, and Lindsay, I, I don't know if, I assume you hopefully will agree with this because we've talked about it, but as time has passed, I've come to see the podcasting space as being incredibly precious and potentially even sublime because it's, I mean, just think of, and there's no other place in my life where people sit down for an hour and have meaningful in-depth conversations where they stop and listen to the other person and they do their best to be as respectful and insightful as possible. So I've, I've come to really have a great deal of reverence for the whole, the entire space of podcasting. Yeah. I feel like there's, you know, the effect of when you're watching a movie on an airplane and for some reason it gets under your skin a little bit more because there's no distractions, there's no popcorn, there's no phone, there's no any of this stuff. And so you ha tend to have a more intimate and more meaningful experience of that film. I feel like podcasting is a little bit that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like we are in this room and we are focused only on this conversation and our phones are away and there's no other people around and we can just kind of have go to places that we would never go in any other circumstance and it's it's a real gift it's been a really really beautiful thing to experience so beautifully said i agree and also i think it's so special how we get to connect with people we never thought for example you moby i've known who you are since I was nine years old. I've listened to your music since I was nine years old. I never had on my bingo card that I'd be able to have a conversation, an in-depth conversation <laughs> with you this year about what really matters to you and your heart. And so, I mean, podcasting, it's its what has, you know, opened my mind listening to other podcasts, but also opened my world. It's, yeah, I mean, it's on one hand, the podcasting space, I can understand people could be dismissive of it because Everybody has a podcast. There are yeah. podcasts for everything. I mean, like, I'm assuming, like, if some sponge company launches a new sponge, they're going to have sponge podcast. Actually, I would listen to a sponge <laughs> podcast. But you love sponges. Oh, I hate sponges. I'm fast. I don't know. Um, they, they smell weird after a while. But in any case, uh, I think that there is, as I mentioned, this, this preciousness to communication, this preciousness to like all these people being really earnest and like really, you know, like making an effort to have meaningful communication. I, I, I think the podcasting space is considerably more special than most people are giving it credit for. I agree. Also in your podcast, you have, you engage in candid conversations with surprising guests and, uh, some surprising guests to come which crossing fingers for because those will be amazing episodes if that happens like Lindsay was saying before we started the podcast and so I'm curious how do you approach these discussions to challenge conventional perspectives and explore alternative viewpoints Lindsay you want to oh I'd love to yeah yeah and this is something that Moby and I talked about before we ever started a podcast was that we know so many there are so many people in our world that have these beautiful creative spirits but aren't necessarily known for every medium of their expression and so one of the things that we really wanted to do was have people on that 
perhaps are known for one thing, but also have this other thing that they really care about that is this other form of creative expression. But really, we just wanted to get down to know what what inspires people and what what their creative process is like and what their kind of driving force is to to make them create. And I think we've really done that, but also getting to talk to these activists and trying to understand why they care so much and because it's such a beautiful thing to see people, you know, day in, day out show up for this thing that they care about so much. Um so that was our that was our goal when we started this. And I think I think we've done an okay job. You've done a great job. And that's exactly what people want to hear. They want to hear, you know, the real truth and what really motivates people and the magic that they create in this world. And so you two are co-hosts. I'm curious, how do you prepare for each episode to strike a balance between structured discussions and also spontaneity and unrehearsed moments uh, during your conversations together? Look, to be fair, we, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. We should probably prepare a little bit better. <laughs> no, it makes it more fun. I think however you're doing it is perfect. I mean, I, I, Don't it. you know, like when we're like, for example, we interviewed our friend Dan Butner who invented the concept of the blue zones. And like, wow. we, each, we each do our research. Like, you know, we read their books and we go on Wikipedia and we come up with lists of questions. But then once the, the microphones are on and the, I was going to say the tape is running, but that's just because I'm old. Once the Pro Tools is running, um, we just let it sort of take on a life of its own and let it be relatively unstructured because I think, I mean, on one hand, maybe I'm lazy, but on the other hand, the the lack of structure enables that that more honest, vulnerable communication, or, or so I hope. Lindsay, what do you think? Well, I think we're still trying to figure out what the balance is, because for me, there's been times when I come in so freaking prepared, and I have read it all, and researched it all, and I have written a bunch of questions down, and I find that often it's great to know these things, but it's sometimes more fun to find out in real time and just follow it where it goes. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have a tried and true way that I'm entering into these. I'm still trying to figure out and mess with, mess with the approach of what works best. Well, you know what, whatever you guys are doing, it's magic. Just keep at it because (laughs) you two, your banter and everything. I feel, I felt so connected with you guys and I love how also grounded and real and honest you are. So whatever you're doing, just keep at it. Thanks. That's nice. Well, that's kind of you to say. Thank you. I mean, I have to say, I am such a like, I don't know, loudmouth, and I my I do feel this constant sense of guilt. Like, I perhaps, and especially given the history of like cisgendered patriarchy, like I sometimes feel like I ramble on way too much because Lindsay is so smart and so funny. And so when I go back and listen to the podcast, I'm like, oh, why, why do I keep rambling on like an idiot? And it's funny because now I'm rambling on like an idiot. But <laughs> no. Um, no, no, no. I, I do think like Lindsay, of between the two of us, like she is the like the, the smarter, funnier, more interesting one. I'm just the, the loud dimwit who talks too much. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I think people are very interested in your perspective, which is why I really, I really let you let you go. Wind wind you up and let you go. 
because I think people are very interested in your um, in in what you your perspective on the world. And I don't think people are thinking that you're just you know trying to be a dominant man and take over. Don't worry about that. You're being too harsh on yourself, Moby. It, everything's been great. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> now, also, okay, can we talk about Resound uh, NYC? I was just listening to your live. I think that's so cool that you guys had a live podcast and you were was this the premiere of it or what exactly happened there why did you guys decide to do a podcast live for this new record well yeah part of it is i hate touring (laughs) um i really 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 just i i i toured for decades and now i just i love staying home and working on creative projects and working on activism and working on politics and going hiking and leading this really sort of like boring, simple, almost monastic life. So I try to avoid touring as much as possible. And so we sort of thought, okay, I'm releasing this album. It's an orchestral greatest hits. I should probably do some sort of show, but rather than a conventional show, we basically just did like, a, uh, you know this podcast in a small theater that held around 50 of our friends and I played some songs with you know a cellist and it was quiet and it was fun and it was intimate and honest and Bagel was there and it wasn't too loud <laughs> I didn't want to play music that would scare Bagel so Aww. so that's kind of what was behind it my is mainly like the fun of a podcast and a great way to avoid actually going on tour that's awesome and it showcases orchestral arrangements of songs recorded in new york city right yeah and so what inspired you to revisit these tracks and reimagine them with these elements after all these years well so what happened was as i mentioned earlier that i had never ever expected to have a career as a musician you know I really, it's just been such a weird surprise, even all these decades later. And about six years ago, I did a concert with the Los Angeles Philharmonic here in LA with Gustavo Dudamel and a gospel choir. And the mayor came out and played piano and we had guest vocalists, like this huge production with a 120 piece orchestra. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I never ever in a million years thought I would ever have the opportunity to play with a real orchestra. And after the show, uh, a woman from this record label Deutsche Grammophon came backstage and asked me if I wanted to make an album that was like an orchestral greatest hits. And I, of course, said yes. So we made the first one was called Reprise. And it was with an orchestra from Hungary and a ton of guest vocalists, everybody from Jim James from My Morning Jacket to Chris Christofferson to Gregory Porter and Amethyst Kia, so many guests. And then the first record did quite well, especially outside the United States. And so we simply decided to do a second one, which is the the one you mentioned called Resound NYC. Yeah, that is awesome. And I just realized this time is flying by so fast. I'm so into what you guys say. And I just have a couple more questions to ask you as we wrap up, because I want people to tune into Moby's pod right after they listen to this. And I'm curious, what message would you like the audience to take away from tuning into your podcast each week? What legacy will you be leaving into the podcast world? Oh, wow. What a, <laughs> Lindsay, what do you think? 
Well, what what we're trying to do is to have people on that promote and and even ourselves is promote promote creativity and promote compassion and in whatever form that may take whether it's eating less meat or writing something you've been meaning to write for a long time or doing some healing work that may be preventing you from doing either of those things. Ooh, so I think that's what what we would hope to hope to leave leave with people. That's a powerful legacy. That's great. <laughs> Moby, do you have anything to add? Yeah, it's the idea of and and it's very similar to what you're doing, you know, with your podcast is to basically recognize that the world I the world needs to be pushed in a, a good direction. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to use whatever resources we have, whatever platforms we have, to try and simply and maybe even presumptuously make things better, you know, to address important issues and to not feed the disinformation and not feed the hate, not feed the evil, not feed the environmental destruction, but sort of like be a voice for change and try and move the needle in a good way. I love this. You guys are doing that with all your creations. And this is the last question that I ask all the Euro Magic guests. How would you advise the Euro Magic listeners to create their own magic? Oh boy. Lynn, what do you think? Um, uh, that's that's a tough question because you know what does magic mean to you? I think the first question is figure out figure out what that is. What means magic to you, and figure out what your strengths are, and to not be afraid to put yourself out there and get get that magic all stirred up and out there in the world. Beautifully said. And I would I, I completely agree. I would say. Um, one thing, it reminds me of an Einstein quote, and I'm going to quickly, I looked that up while I'm talking slowly, while I'm Googling an Einstein quote, but I spelled Einstein. Come on, Siri. Einstein, really? <laughs> Albert Einstein? Um, but it's a wonderful quote. Uh, okay, let me uh, no, that's not it. Oh, man, I can't find it. But basically, <laughs> the quote is that essentially either everything in the universe is miraculous or nothing is. And when you take when I take a step back, you know, earlier I mentioned like the the epiphanies that I've had just simply landscaping and being a recognizing the importance of these natural systems and so what I would say to people is step outside the world of social media, step outside the world of tabloid media, step outside the world of, you know, anger and small thoughts and look at the universe. Look at, you know, the majesty of nature. I know that might sound like a cliche, but on a molecular level, on a subatomic level on a cellular level on a galactic level and the fact that we are comprised of that you know there's not a single part of you or me or Lindsay or anyone listening that wasn't present at the big bang you know we are all 15 billion years old and our matter has been spread throughout the universe and we've been stars we've been planets we've been water we've been everything and I 
feel almost like evil is anything that keeps us from that awareness, or at least the the dawning awareness of how unbelievably sublime and magical we already are. I mean, think about it. You eat some black beans and immediately your body knows how to like digest them and turn them into optic nerves and turn them into bone marrow and turn them into fingernails or what have you. Like we are constant manifestations of magic in the most literal sense. And I think it's just becoming more connected to that. Oh, so brilliantly said. I feel this on a soul level. Yeah. So, and thank you for, honestly, we love your podcast. I mean, like, the, the diversity of subjects that you deal with, you know, everything from Taylor Swift to microdosing, maybe Taylor Swift and microdosing, drink, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a major Swifty. You should meet our, our friend Lindsay. You guys should battle who's the bigger Swifty. Not, not our, our friend Lindsay Lewis. She's a professor okay. in Orange County and she is like, she routinely goes around with a cardboard cutout of Taylor Swift and takes pictures of her and cardboard cutout Taylor <laughs> Swift, like on a paddleboard having coffee. So like she's obsessed. Oh, she might have me beat that. I don't have the cardboard. I have all the vinyls. I have all the everything else and seen the show, but you know, I don't have the cardboard. She might have no. me there. Not yet. Not, <laughs> Not yet. yet you good don't. point. Good point. I never, <laughs> never say never. I never say never. Oh, where can everyone connect with you too? Listen to your podcast, watch your movie, get your album. Well, the, the movie is free. Um, and as we mentioned on YouTube, and you can do whatever you want with it, watch it, download it. Uh, all of my music, what's wonderful about the world of music is it's essentially free. You know, it's it's on all of the streaming platforms. It's on YouTube. It's on everywhere. And I, I love the fact that there's kind of no barrier to entry to music these days. The fact that anybody can listen to music pretty much at any time for the most part without having to spend money. I think that's really wonderful. And then the podcast as well is on all the places where podcasts live. Pretty sure that I might have limewired some of your music when I was a teenager. That's <laughs> I, 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 I loved limewire. I loved <laughs> Um I got very frustrated when the record companies figured out how to do spoofs of music. Do you remember that? Not really. What do you mean? Okay. So the good old days of Napster and LimeWire, you would look up at your favorite song, you would download it. It'd be great. But then what the labels started doing, it's understandable. Oh, yeah, they would. They put up 300 fake versions of the song. Yep. And yep. so eventually you would never know which one to download. And I understand why yep. they did that, but still it was kind of annoying. I remember that. I do remember that. But I feel like I always could figure it out. I always somehow figured out which one was the right one. Yeah, I, I, I just got frustrated and went out and bought the same one. <laughs> that's the way to do it that's the way to do it <laughs> anyway you two have been absolutely amazing i am blushing i can't believe that i've had this very expanding beautiful brilliant conversation with you two and i feel so connected with all your messaging and i'm so thankful that with everything that you both are sharing with uh this world and i am going to continue binging your podcasts because it is so good and i hope everybody once this episode is done goes and listens to any of the moby pod i highly suggest the one where you two are making a song first that one was so fun oh 
Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> this has been so fun. I'm so happy we got to talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yo, me's. Say hi to me on threads. I just got a threads. My username is Raquel Mantra, R-A-Q-U-E-L-L-E Mantra. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and or leave a five-star rating and review and tell me what you thought of the show or any show that connected with you. Feel free to say hi in the Your Own Magic Facebook group, or feel free to leave a comment or a topic idea for a future episode in the topic box on our site, yourownmagic.com, and I have some free old meditations for you there if you want to enjoy those. I need to add more. Someone remind me. Someone remind me to do more meditations. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you have a magical rest of your week. Gemma.